James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today. It's an interesting passage, amen? The control of the tongue. I've had several people tell me since I've started uh, preaching through the book of James that they sort of like it and they sort of don't like it. And I think this is one of the passages that we sort of don't like, right? Because it really speaks to us and how we are to use our speech, right? And keep in mind, he's writing to the church. He's writing to those who profess the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which makes it all the more interesting, doesn't it? So he returns to this theme of the tongue. He's talked about it in chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, where he said, uh, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He's also mentioned it here in verse 26 of chapter 1. If any man among you seem to be religious, but uh, does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is useless or worthless. It's in vain, is what the King James says here. So the focus there was the control of the tongue as a mark of Christian wisdom. And notice James, he speaks a lot about wisdom and Christian wisdom. And so here in chapter 1, the use of the tongue there focuses on the mark of a Christian in using the tongue to speak wisdom. Here in this chapter, the focus is on dissensions within the body and the unbridled tongue, those that just cannot keep their mouth shut. And those, as one of my preaching professors said, uh, he, he once said that one of the most dangerous things in the pulpit was a preacher whose mind was in neutral and his mouth was in high. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? Our mouth's in high and our mind's in neutral. It reminded me of the story of the lady that came down one Sunday morning and confessed to the pastor that she just wanted to lay her tongue on the altar. And the pastor said, you'll have to wait a few weeks till we can build a bigger altar. Um, <laughs> Oh, me. <laughs> oh, me, Jason. <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> but it was not that funny, was it? Anyway, what James will tell us here in chapter 3 is that the root cause of an unbridled tongue is that of envy and jealousy, wanting what someone else has. And so he gives us a, a series of a very vivid and very memorable images to warn the believer about the tongue. Now, this is not all he's going to say about the tongue because he will mention it again in chapter 4 a couple of times and then again in chapter 5. So evidently, it is an, a, a problem within this church, right? Or he wouldn't say it uh, so often. But what does he say to us today? Uh, we'll just take it verse by verse, verses 1 through 12, and uh, look at what James tells us here today and see what we can learn from it, how we can apply it to our life that we might not fit in this category that James is talking about, right? Amen, preacher. Amen. Okay. Some of you looked away that time. See, that's the advantage of having people. I can see your facial expressions, and, and I don't have to go back later on and look at the little smiley faces and the little great sermon or the amens or wherever you put those things because I never know where they fit in. But now I can tell, right? Oh, me. Oh, me, Jason. <laughs> But look what he says here, verse 1 of chapter 3. My brethren, he refers to them as his brothers. And the term that is used there means dearly beloved. 
And so they're very close to his heart, uh, very close to his ministry. And so he's scolding them in a loving way, right? It's what he's doing. And any good pastor, when his people get out of line, that's what he would do, right? Wouldn't call them down from the pulpit, I don't think. But he would scold them in a loving way that the, that the, the goal is what? Redemption, restoration, to bring them back uh, to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is not the goal, then that's something wrong with our motivation as ministers uh, and as leaders of the church. So he addresses them as his dearly beloved, my brethren, be not many masters. Now the word that is used here for master is the Greek word didaskalos, which means teacher. And it's a plural, so he's saying be not many teachers. What's he saying? Do not desire to have the office of a teacher. Why? Here's what he says. We shall receive the greater condemnation. Now the teacher that he's talking about here is most likely one who is an instructor in the Word of God. One who preaches and teaches the Word of God. And so what he's saying here is don't desire that. Maybe some are desiring that out of envy, out of jealousy, thinking it's a, 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 a position of, of prestige, of power, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I, come talk to me if you think that. Uh, but anyway, so he says, do not be many masters. Why? Because they will experience a greater judgment is the word that is used here. Uh, the word that is used here means to judge, and it can have two different uh, applications here. One is the, the function of judgment, which is to scrutinize or to make an observation or to uh, you know, look at someone and make an evaluation of how they're living their life. The other one is the very act of judgment, that of condemning those, uh, condemning someone or bringing someone uh, to punishment here. And so the kind of judgment that, uh, that these teachers, that uh, they will incur, James does not say. But the point is, Christians, believers, my brothers, were called to a higher standard. We're called to live a life above that of the world, right? We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And we are to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so the tongue here can either be a, a source of, of greatness, it can do great good, or it can do great evil, great harm. And so James here is presenting the tongue, the use of the tongue, as a key to successful living, to self-control, and to a virtuous life. Living a life that is pleasing to God. So do not desire to be, and that is, he say, if you've been called to be a teacher or a preacher, you should shun it, you should reject it? Obviously not. Obviously not. If that is your calling. But do not desire that office just because so-and-so has it and you want to be like them or you think they're, they're, they're Mr. or Miss Goody Two-Shoes and you think you need to fit in that category as well. So what's he saying? You will incur the greater judgment here. So I think what the way James is using it in, the, in this uh, situation is that of condemnation or punishment. You will receive a greater judgment. And so he's talking, first of all, about the leaders in the church, my brothers, the teachers, the leaders in the church. But then he shifts in, in verse 2 to incorporate the whole body. 
So none of us are left out, right? No one is left out. Look what he says here in verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man or a complete man and able also to bridle the whole body. <coughs> so in many things we offend all. It's not hard to offend someone these days, is it? I, I, I'm just appalled that Elmer Fudd gave up, gave up his gun so easily. I cannot understand that. Um, I've, I've seen uh, some things on Facebook that if you're offended by Elmer Fudd and Paw Patrol as an adult, you are a special kind of... I weren't going to say it because i got to go home with the woman that's going to beat me if I say it. Uh, but anyway, isn't that something too silly? That's just ridiculous. And I also like the one that says... We're cartoon characters, you idiot, <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, that's off the subject here. Uh, but it's not hard to offend, and particularly with our words, right? Uh, Sissy used to do when she did a, a children's message in some of our other churches years ago, and you've probably seen this as well. She did a, an illustration where she would take a tube of toothpaste and give the kids a little piece of paper or an index card or something like that, and squeeze a little bit out on each one of them's little piece of paper, and then ask them to put it back in the tube. <laughs> it ain't going to work, is it? It's not going to work. And so the point is, that's the same way with our words. Once they're said, they're said. And they can either do great good, or they can do great harm. And you can say, well, I'm sorry I said that, but the hurt is still there, isn't it? The hurt is still there. And so what James is trying to cautious us of today is to be careful here. So it, the focus here shifts to include all, not just the teachers. Uh, the word offend here means to stumble or cause to stumble. So it's in a uh, religious context here. And the idea, if you're desiring to be a teacher, that is a disseminator of the word of God, and you're desiring to do that, but yet you're offending someone through the word, through your teaching. Now, let me just settle this right here and get this uh, point clear. If the preacher is preaching the Word of God, and it is the Word of God, and it offends you, you don't have a problem with the preacher. You might think you do. But you've got a problem with the Word of God. But now, if the preacher's up here telling you what he thinks, and and deviating from the Word of God, and that offends you, then you have a right to be offended at the preacher. And you have a right to confront the preacher. Why? Because any time we stray from preaching this book, we're not preaching the Word of God. And so here's what James is talking about. Don't desire to be a teacher of the Word of God because there's a, a stricter, a greater judgment that is coming upon you and if you offend anyone uh, in the Word, or if you don't offend someone with the Word, uh, you're a perfect man, complete man. You're able to bridle the whole body. Now, that word bridle there means to hold in check here. And it's the same word that is used in verse 26 here about the man that seems to be religious but cannot hold in check, cannot control his own tongue. Uh, his religion is worthless. It's in vain. So it's... Uh, not only that of uh, curbing evil here, but it is the idea uh, of 
directly relating the Word of God in the way that the Word of God is to be proclaimed here. And so if you stumble, if you cause a man to stumble, then you are violating the law of God. But if the words you speak and the words you say are in line with this Word of God, the, the main objective is what? To restore them, to bring them back, to bring about restoration and reconciliation, right? Not to continue to tear them down and to beat them down. I've heard it said, and, and uh, you've probably heard this said, I think I've probably said it here a few times, uh, that it used to be said of the Baptist church that the Baptist church was the only church that shoots its own wounded. That's a sad indictment, isn't it? That's a sad indictment. When someone's down, instead of speaking words of hope and, and, and comfort, what do we do? Stomp on them and keep saying things. That is not the way the church is to operate. That is not to be the attitude of the believers in the church. Amen? And that's what James is warning us about. In verses 3 through 5, he gives us three illustrations to really uh, bring home this point that he's trying to uh, portray to us today. He says here in verse 3, Behold, pay attention, take note of this. We put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Now, how much does the average horse weigh? A couple of thousand pounds, maybe? Um, I guess it depends on what kind of horse that it is, right? But you got, you got to figure he weighs a little bit more than me and you, right? But here, we can take this bit, a little old tiny thing, about so wide, put it in his mouth, and you, you can make that horse go anywhere you want him to go, right? You can control him. And so this is what James is saying here. We put these bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we're able to turn their whole body. So while the, the bit is very small, it can determine the direction of the horse. Whether he's going forward, whether you're turning him to the left, turning him to the right, you pull back, he stops. If you don't, you've got a bad horse, right? And there are some that are a little wild. But the average horse, the, 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 the domesticated horse, if you will, is going to be controlled by that bit. So similarly, our lives are directed by the words we speak. That's the point James is getting at here. And he says, behold, pay attention. View attentively what I'm saying here. And then he gives us a second example here in verse 4. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth. You ever seen a big ship out in the sea? It's just got a little tiny rudder on the back of it, right? In proportion to the ship, right? But when that captain of that ship begins to turn that wheel... That ship's going to go where he turns it, right? And so that is what James is saying here. So just like the, the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder is small in comparison to the ship, but the ship is controlled by that. What does he say here in verse 5? Here it is. Even so the tongue is a little member. 
Think about your tongue in comparison to the rest of your body. Rather small, isn't it? But what does James say about it here in verse 5? Even so the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. This is a little bit off topic as well, but it's related, I think. You get on your internet. You get on whatever site you want to get on. If it's some kind of chat room or something, or you're conversing with someone else that you don't know. I know a lot of these kids play games, and some of them play games with people they don't even know all across the, the world. You can get behind that computer screen, and you can be anything or anybody you want to be, can't you? won't even get into the dating sites. I mean, <laughs> I don't, don't go on those things. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, let, me, let me clarify that. Some of you give me funny looks. Let me clarify those things. But I have some people that I know that watch these shows called Married at First Sight and uh, those kind of things. And, and uh, I won't call their names either. Uh, what's some of the others? I can't remember. But... 90 day fiance, okay, I weren't talking about you, Miss Renee, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you can get on those kind of sites and you can be anything or anybody you want to be. Can't you? Do you think that applies here? Even so, the tongue's a little member and it can boast great things. What do you think James's point is here? Say what you mean and mean what you say. Be who you are. Be what God has created and designed you to be. Look what he says. It boasts great things. It says, Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now, why would he say that? A small little spark can erupt into a great fire. Just one little spark. Every year, uh, of course, they've been talking about other things on the news, so I haven't heard a whole lot about it, but Every year out in California about this time, there's a lot of wildfires going on. They've been some down in South Georgia in years past, close to our stomping grounds. And um, they usually determine that it may have started with just one little spark of some kind. A little campfire got out of control, or maybe somebody intentionally set it. But one little spark can set the whole thing ablaze and burn it down. And that's what James is saying here about the, the tongue. The tongue determines our direction in life. He says it can boast great things, but it can also start a, a, a fire. It can kindle us a little fire. Do you realize there are people in this world today that just love to talk about other people? And it's one thing when they're in the world. It's quite another thing when they're in the church. And that happens too. And so what James is telling us here is it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. Look what Mark said over in chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Sort of relates to this. Mark said, and he said, speaking of Jesus, and here's what Jesus said, that which cometh out of the man that defileth the man, for, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Now, what does that have to do with the tongue? Well, they're talking about the clean and unclean. Over in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said it this way. He said, it's not what goes in the man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. Why? Because what comes out of him comes from the heart. You see, and if your tongue is wagging on both ends with a hinge in the middle, then there's something wrong with your heart. You've got a heart problem. And you're not in a right relationship with God. And so James says that little tongue, that very little member that's compared to the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder on the ship, that very little member can kindle a little fire. How do I know that? Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire. Oh, my goodness. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Now, that word iniquity there means moral wrongness. It means an act of being unjust, being unrighteous. It's what he's saying. And the, the tongue is a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, among the body, that it defiles the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. Listen. One little spark from the tongue, from the right person said to the wrong person, can destroy a church. And that is what James is getting out. Before you go say, well, who's saying what and who's doing? Nothing that I know of, okay? <laughs> that I know of. Let me just put it that way. So I'm not saying that's the problem here, but it is a problem in the church. If it was not a problem in the church, James would not have addressed it. He would not have said something about it in chapter 1, something about it in chapter 3, something about it in chapter 4, something about it in chapter 5. So evidently it's a problem here in the church. The church in Jerusalem. That's where James is writing to. He's writing to them. And so he says here that this tongue, it's full of iniquity, it's full of immorality why because what we say with our lips comes from our heart it's what's in our heart that comes out through our lips here and he says it defiles the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell is what the king james says now the greek word that is used there is the word gehenna and it comes from the old testament the valley of hinnom and you can read about that in, in the book of Joshua in chapter 15. It talks about the valley of Hinnom in 2 Kings chapter 23. You know what the valley of Hinnom represented in the Old Testament? It represented the place of child sacrifice to Molech. Where the Israelites who were instructed before they entered into the land of Canaan. Go back to Exodus chapter 20, 19 and 20. What did God say there? Uh, if you will keep my covenant and obey my commandments, you will be my people, I will be your God. And then in Exodus chapter 20, he gives them what? He gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. Here's how you are to live your life when you enter the land of the pagans, when you enter the land of the Canaanites. Uh, you're to have no other gods before me. He's to be the one God, the true God that they worship, right? Why? As you look down through the centuries and you read the Old Testament, what do you see? You see, they began to follow those foreign gods. And it led to the Israelites in 1 Kings chapter 23 offering their children as a 
sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice. That's what they were doing to them, burning them to death in the valley of Hinnom, Hinnom or Gehenna, as it's translated in the Greek. As a, to appease this God that they didn't even know. To appease this God, if you go back to what we were talking about last week with Rahab, when the people crossed through the Red Sea, what did she say? We've heard how the Lord departed the sea. We've heard what He did to Jericho. We've heard all of these things. And I want to serve your God. You see, they were to go into that foreign land as the people of God, and they were to be His treasured possession, His peculiar people, that would lead those pagans, those Canaanites, to worship the one true God. But what happened through a, a period of time? They began to fall away. And they began to worship all the gods of Canaan. And Molech was one of those gods. And they began to sacrifice their children to him. Later on, it becomes known as just a garbage dump. An eternal place of punishment. Criminals, when they were executed, you know what they did with them? They took them to the Valley of Hinnom and laid them on the garbage heaps. And you know what they did with the garbage? They burned it. They burned it. So when James here says that the tongue here it is, is a, 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 a fire, it's a world of iniquity, he's using very strong language here. And then he reminds them here, that it is set on fire of the very pits of hell. The place of eternal fire. The place of eternal punishment here. And so it speaks here to the ultimate condemnation that will be on those who cannot control their tongue. Well, preacher, can they be saved? Yes, they can be saved. But when they get saved, <laughs> they're going to bridle their tongue. Why? Because God's going to give them a new heart, a clean heart. And if your heart is clean and pure before God, does that mean you're not going to say something ugly every now and then? You're not going to say something bad about somebody every now and then? Of course not. But that is not going to be your everyday habit. It's not going to be your objective to tear others down and to slander. That's basically what he's talking about, slander them uh, here to speak evil of them. Look what he says in verse 7. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Now, you, you, you think about the beasts that are out there. Would you walk up to a bear and say, Hey, Mr. Bear, let me shake your hand. Would you walk up to a lion and say, Hey, Miss, Miss, Mr. Lion, let me... Sit down and share this turkey leg with you. You're not going to do that, are you? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, what does it say there? <clears throat> God created all of these animals, and he names the, the birds and the, and the fish and all of these animals. And he says that man is to have dominion over them. So we have dominion over them. But how many times have you read or heard where someone took in this little lion cub... And tried to domesticate it. And when the lion cub got to be a full-fledged lion, it decided to have its owner for dinner. Those things happen, don't they? Those things happen. And so what James is saying here, 
uh, every kind of beast, birds, the serpents, these things, uh, they have been tamed of mankind. But look in verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison. An unruly evil means it's unstable. The NIV translates it as a restless evil here. And why does James say that? As we said earlier, Matthew chapter 12, what comes out, what we say is a reflection of what's in our heart. It's a reflection of what's in here. He says it is full of deadly poison. You know, those that like to stir up trouble in the church, you know what they do? They go to that person that they know that can't keep their mouth shut. And they say, I shouldn't tell you this, but... Now, don't tell anybody else. I shouldn't tell you this, but why do they say that? Because they want that person to tell. They want that person to spread the rumor. They want that person to spread the lie. They want that person to stir up the trouble. Makes them look good if they can kind of sit back and watch it all happen, right? Now, there's some just brave enough and brash enough. They don't care. They're going to stir it up, right? But there are those that use more subtle means, and they'll go to that one person. I shouldn't tell you this, but knowing that person's going to go tell somebody. You know, I, I think what the Bible says, if you have a problem with me or if I have a problem with you, I'm to go to you. And I'm to talk to you. And if we can't work it out among us, what am I to do next? Take two or three from the church with me. And let's go and let's try to work it out. And the whole point, if you read Matthew 18, the whole point is not to kick somebody out, but to restore them. Restoration. Why? So that God might be glorified through it all. But sadly, that's not the way it happens in the church. My brothers, my dearly beloved, he's writing to the church. And he's using some very strong language here. Look what he says in verses 9 uh, verse 9 here. He says, Therefore, or therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God, the likeness of God. The same tongue blesses God. You know what that means? It means to praise. We praise God. And we're sitting here and we're singing the songs and, 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 and I'm not saying this is wrong, don't get me wrong. We sing the songs, we're praising God, we might lift our hands. That's okay too in a Baptist church. Whether you believe that or not, it's okay to lift your hands. It's okay to close your eyes. It's okay to look to the Father and praise Him for what He's done for you. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's a continual type of praise that He's talking about. We continually praise the Father, but at the same time we walk out the door and we curse men. We slander them. We tear them down. We talk bad about them. We talk evil of them. And he says here, he reminds us that these men are made in the very image of God. Whoa. When you are talking bad about someone, when you are slandering someone, when you are speaking evil of someone, you know what you're doing? You're speaking against the very creation of God. Oh me, oh me. Look what he says in verses 10 through 12. Out of the same mouth proceeds 
blessing, praise, and cursing. He's not really talking about using ugly words here. He's talking about slander and, and speaking evil of people. Look what he says. My brethren, my brothers, my dearly beloved. Once again, same word, right? These things ought not so to be. You would expect that in the lost world, wouldn't you? You would expect that outside of these four walls. To happen maybe on your job, in the workplace, or somewhere you know, in a public place. You would expect to hear that kind of language. But not among God's people. And God's people shouldn't be out there and saying, Well, I'm not at church, so it's okay now. No. You can't be a Christian just from 11 to 12 on Sunday morning. You got to be a Christian 24-7. 365. Or 6 if it's leap year. Don't disclude February 29. Right? Say, oh, I got to pass. No. These things shouldn't be. Look what he says in verse 11. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? I've never found it. One or the other maybe. But not both at the same time. Can the fig tree, my brothers, there it is again, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Obviously he's mentioning several rhetorical questions here when the answer is a big fat no. It cannot happen. Listen, God will not receive praise from a person with an evil tongue. Oh, you can come to church and you can put on a show. And you can, you can act the part. And you can fool some men, some people. But guess what? God knows what's in here. God knows what's in here. And He knows if it's just a show or if it's just an act. So we can mouth the words, but if our heart is not pure, they are empty and meaningless. And God is not going to hear the praise from an evil heart. If you're going to praise God, you've got to be in a right relationship with Him. And if you're in a right relationship with Him, guess what? You'll want to praise Him. <laughs> You'll want to worship Him. You'll want to serve Him. Him. So there's something spiritually wrong with a person that practices inconsistency of the tongue. And that's what James is talking about here. This, that you can't bring forth fresh water and bitter water at the same time. It won't happen. You can't praise God and curse men at the same time. It's inconsistent with the very nature of God. It is inconsistent and incompatible to the very nature of a believer in God. Right? Because when we understand the grace of God and what God has done for us in sending His Son to die on a cross for our sins, and we have, as Peter will tell us, become a partaker of the very nature of God, taking on Christ who has indwelled us through His Spirit and made us new creations from the inside out. When that happens... You're going to bless God. And when men do you wrong, you're going to say, well, praise God, I'll pray for you. You're not going to curse them back. Let me just give you an example. Now, your tongue here, as I said earlier in the message, can be used for evil 
which is basically what James is talking about here, or it can be used for good. just want to give you a little illustration here to close this out. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Edward Kimball? Okay, that's what I thought. Edward Kimball started out as a shoeshine boy, and uh, he got saved and became a uh, Sunday school teacher. And uh, one day he went to visit a member of his Sunday school class and led that young man to the Lord. And that young man's name was Dwight Lyman Moody, better known as D.L. Moody. Moody got saved, as you know, and he began to preach the gospel. And under the preaching of D.L. Moody, a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer heard the gospel and got saved. And F.B. Meyer began to preach the gospel, and he preached the gospel, and a young man by the name of Wilbur Chapman got saved. And Wilbur Chapman began to preach the gospel. And in one of his uh, meetings, a young boy by the name of uh, William Sunday, or Billy Sunday, got saved and started preaching the gospel. And at one of Billy Sunday's crusades, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham got saved. And during one of Mordecai, I think it's pronounced Mordecai, maybe, Mordecai Ham's tent revivals, a young man by the name of William Franklin Graham Jr. got saved. Better known as Billy Graham. Isn't that pretty awesome? So your tongue can be used to curse men. Or it can be used to praise God. And do you see what happens when it's used to praise God? Some of these names you've probably never heard of. But I know you've heard of a couple of them. And most certainly you've heard the name Billy Graham. How many hundreds of thousands of people came to know Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham? No telling. No telling. But it all started back with a young boy, Sunday school teacher, who went to see one of his class members. So, will you be an Edward Kimball? That's just a simple question, isn't it? You never know who you're going to influence. And you influence people every day whether you realize it or not. You either influence them positively or negatively by the words you speak. Let's pray together. Miss Pam's going to come play a hymn of invitation. If you feel uh, the Lord has spoken to you today, won't you come forward and uh, settle it with him today. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. We bow before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to come and share your word today. We thank you for these that are here. And Father, we pray that today you would take these words, that you would use them for your honor and your glory. Father, that it might bring praise to your name. Father, I pray that you just uh, convict us where we failed you. Father, that you would help us to realize uh, that our tongue can be used for great good or great harm. Help us, Father, to concentrate on the good. Help us to concentrate on praising you because we never know <coughs> who might down the road come to know you through something we've said or done. Father, use this time now for your honor and your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.